Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Well, if you turn, uh, we've got two scriptures, Hebrews 11. Turn to Hebrews 11, and then when you've got your finger in there, Luke chapter 17. There's an old proverb dating back to the 14th century. It says, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And the shorter version of this proverb that we would all be more familiar with is the proof is in the pudding, which means roughly the same thing. And the phrase was used to say that you can only say that something is a success after it's been tried out or used. If you see a pudding that looks really, really good, you don't really know it until you've tried it. And I've seen some good food sometimes. It looks really good. And then I try it and it's disgusting. So (laughs) the proof is in the trying of the pudding. So now I've given you a little history lesson about an old proverb. (coughs) Let's look at those scriptures. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1, says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And Luke 17 verse 5 says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And verse 6 says, And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree or mulberry tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. So the definition of faith tonight is a confidence or trust in a person or thing, a strong or unshakable belief in something. Biblically, faith is an unwavering trust in God and a steadfast assurance that he will do what his word says he will do. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, is what brings to life and reality in our minds that which we know God says in his word. It is the evidence of the things we may not be able to see with the physical eye just yet at this present moment. So tonight I'll be using that old proverb from the 1600s as my title, but changing just one word. The proof is in the building. The proof is in the building. And we'll just open in prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you are in this place to minister your grace to us tonight. Lord, you're here to meet every need and you know every need that is in this house. Lord God, you are not a faraway God, but you are close. You are our heavenly father and you love us. And tonight I pray, oh God, that as Lord, I speak the words that you've laid upon my heart, that you would anoint them and that God, they would find good ground and that they would encourage your people this evening to remember that they serve a mighty God in the wonderful, awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Well, tonight I'm going to share a few well-known stories of people that had faith in the Bible. So the first one is John chapter 6, if we'll all turn there. John chapter 6. They're all well-known ones. And if you're ever in Sunday school, you will have heard of them. So John chapter 6, we find Jesus has just crossed over the Sea of Galilee and sits up on a mountain with his disciples. And he looks up and he sees a great multitude, over 5,000 men plus women and children that had followed him. They had heard and seen of the many miracles that he had done and they were intrigued. They wanted more. 
And Jesus looks out amongst this great multitude of people and turns to Philip because it's about that time to eat. And in verse 5, he says, Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Philip was from around that area, and so he would have known where the local IGA was or the cheapest place to buy bread. It seems like a normal question to ask. I mean, if you're going to have a party, you provide the food, right? But Jesus, did you miss the part that said a great multitude? Do you not see there's like 5,000 men here? We don't have enough money to buy even a small portion for a few of these people. But then another one of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, says to the Lord in verse 9, There is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Now, I choose to believe that as that young boy gave his small packed lunch to Andrew, Andrew had just a little flutter of excitement in his spirit. I mean, the fact that Andrew had even taken this boxed lunch from this little boy just shows you that there was something in Andrew, just maybe, maybe God could do something. He could have turned the boy away and said, that's just such a silly idea. Why would you even think of that? Look at all the people. But he took it. And we know that as Jesus took those loaves and those fish, he prayed over them and then he broke them and he broke them and he broke them and he kept breaking and he kept breaking and he kept breaking and there was more and there was more and there was more. And over 5,000 people were fed that day with five pieces of bread and two fish. One little boy with childlike faith, five pieces of bread and two stinky little fish and God's power. That day, a little boy, 12 disciples, and over 5,000 people saw the miraculous provision of God. And they came away that day knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God provides, even when it doesn't seem possible. So let's rewind. We're going to go roughly 1,500 years prior to this. And we find ourselves with the Israelites at the edge of the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 14. The people of God have just run away from Egypt and Pharaoh, their slave driver. God has taken them out of Egypt in such a miraculous way. It's amazing. However, they find themselves at a roadblock, the Red Sea to be exact. And we pick up in Exodus 14 and verse 11. And the Israelites, they've come to this Red Sea and they lift up their eyes and they turn around. And lo and behold, who do they see but the Egyptian army and Pharaoh? They've changed their minds. They want their slaves back. And so the people turn to Moses and say, in verse 11, because there were no graves in Egypt, has you, have you taken us away to die in this wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way? To carry us out of Egypt, is not this the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, just leave us. We'll just serve the Egyptians, for it's better for us to serve them than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And at this stage, Moses hears from the Lord and he tells Moses, Moses, no more praying. I want you to act. I want you to lift up your rod. I want you to stretch it out over the sea and I want you to hit those waters and divide them. And I wonder what Moses was thinking at the time. Was he thinking, this is so crazy. This is so stupid. Or did he remember just 
maybe remember the things that God had miraculously done through that rod just moments before. Verse 21 says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. That just tells you what Moses believed. Well, hey, I've got no other choice. I might as well stretch out this rod. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And we also read that the Egyptian army followed after the Israelites. They really wanted their slaves back. But what they didn't realize was that their own desire to destroy the Israelites was about to be instrumental in destroying them. And verse 27 and 28 says, And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. And all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them, there remained not so much as one of them. When God delivers, he, he takes care of it. He doesn't leave little remnants behind. He gets rid of the whole lot. One man named Moses, an old walking stick, and God's power. That day, one crazy old man, a few million Jews, saw the miraculous deliverance of God. And they came away that day, knowing without a shadow of a doubt, that God delivers, even when it doesn't seem possible. We're going to fast forward again. We're going to go back to the time when Jesus is walking the streets of Capernaum in Mark chapter 5. We read that Jesus has just come from the other side of the Tiberias Sea. And he's welcomed or bombarded, really, by a multitude of people crowding around him. Everyone wants a piece of Jesus. Some for the right reasons, some for the not so right reasons. And there was one woman who I can imagine was not a woman of great stature, height or strength. She'd been afflicted with an illness that caused hemorrhaging for the past 12 years. Losing so much blood over that much time would have caused her to be lethargic, bent over, unable to go about her daily business, living in pain every day of her life. And she tried so many different uh, so-called solutions. She's gone to all the doctors, but all they've done is cause her more pain. And in verse 27 of Mark 5, we read, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. We need to realize when reading this story that this woman was classed as unclean and was not meant to be in public with this horrible illness. She was looked down upon and seen as an outcast through no fault of her own. And yet she decided that day, she wasn't going to listen to anyone else, no more opinions of others, but she's going to get to Jesus no matter what it took. And so she stumbles through the crowd She stumbles through the crowd and she pushes through until she clutches a glimpse of just his cloth and she touches the hem of his garment. And verse 29 says, And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Straight away, the issue of blood was gone. And Jesus, knowing that virtue or miraculous power, had left him, he found the woman. And in verse 34, he says, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace 
and be whole of thy plague. One sick, tired, outcast lady, a bit of desperation and God's power. That day, that sick, tired, outcast, 12 disciples and a multitude of people saw the miraculous healing of God. And she came away that day knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God heals. Even when it doesn't seem possible. We're going to fast forward again another 2,000 years or so. And we find ourselves in the 20th century. 3rd of May, 1998 to be exact. Family of four has been in church for many years, heavily involved in many areas. But the father had felt for a while that there was just something missing. Just, he just didn't feel like he had everything. And by the orchestrating of God's hand, they were reunited with friends who they met up with and had dinner with. And at one point in the evening, one of the friends spoke with this man that was searching for more about the history of the church. This friend made a comment about the Trinity and how Jesus is God and that there is no separation of the Godhead. The man went away that night feeling somewhere in his heart that he just had to check it out. Not too long after this, he and his family are doing a Bible study on the necessity of baptism in Jesus' name with a pastor from a oneness apostolic church. A week later, they stand at this baptismal tank on the 3rd of May, 1998. Why would this family go into what seems like just a bathtub full of water? I mean, we've just had showers. We're coming to church. We're clean. It seems unnecessary. However, for some reason, God instituted that action of baptism in Jesus' name to symbolize the washing away of sin. Acts twenty two sixteen says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sin, calling on the name of the Lord, Jesus' name. And Mark sixteen sixteen says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And so trusting that what God said was true, these four people went down in the waters of baptism. And as the word of God says, as they came up out of the water, they were washed clean from every sin they had ever committed. One man, his wife, and their two kids, and God's power. That day, 19 or so years ago, my father, my mother, my sister, and I felt the salvation of God. I came away that day, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that by the power of the name of Jesus, my sins were washed away. I knew that God saves, even when it doesn't seem possible. Dad, if you would come up, I'm going to do a bit of an object lesson. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> Probably going to fall over. I should have worn flat shoes. <laughs> You've probably seen this illustration before, but bear with me. I want to do it again to demonstrate some things. So how do we get more faith? If we don't feel like we have enough faith, if what I've just said, you know, we see that God heals and God saves and God delivers and God provides, but we don't feel like, he, like we don't have enough faith to believe it. How do we go about getting more faith? And I believe there are three things by prayer. 
Mark chapter 9 and verse 24 says, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And Luke 17 and 5 we read before, And the apostle said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Dad, will you catch me? You sure you'll catch me? Really? Number two, by hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Are you sure, Dad? <laughs> but I, I, I can't feel you. Are you there? Okay, here goes nothing. Whew, that worked. And the third way is by experience. 1 Samuel 17 and 37 says, David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he would deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. David was facing a great, big, ugly giant who dared to come out and speak against David's God. Yes, David was a young boy. Yes, David wasn't a soldier in the Israelite army. But how is a Philistine giant any different from a bear and a lion? So if I know that my dad caught me the first time, I'm pretty sure he'll do it the second time. Why would he foul me second time if he didn't do it the first time? I'm sure he'll be there. So if he did it one time and two times, do you reckon he'll do it a third time? Amen. Thanks, Dad. You can sit down. Each time I fall into my dad's arms, the easier it gets. I trust him more and more because I have experienced it over and over. I know that he will be there ready to catch me. I also know this because I have seen him do it for my sister. Back in the days, kids, we would be in the pool or dad would be in the pool and we'd stand on the edge and he'd say, jump, I'll catch you. And it always took Chels forever because she's a little bit more scared than me. <laughs> but she would jump in and lo and behold, dad would catch her. I saw it and went, well, if he caught her, he's going to catch me. I'm his daughter too. If we turn back to Luke chapter 17 and verse 5 again. The Lord was talking about forgiveness. And the apostles didn't think that they had it in them to forgive those who offended them. Lord, how can this be done? We can't do this in ourselves. And in verse 5 it says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. What Jesus was saying here was not about the size of the faith that they had. The crucial issue here in accomplishing great things to advance the kingdom of God is not the quantity of our faith, but the power of our God. He says, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, get up and go plant yourself in the sea and it will be done. By referring to the tiny mustard seed, after being asked about increased faith, he deflects attention away from the quantity of faith to the object of faith. God moves mulberry trees. 
And it does not depend decisively on the quantity of our faith, but on his power and wisdom and love. In knowing this, we are helped not to worry about our faith and are inspired to trust in the big God, the huge God, the immeasurable God that our pastor was talking about, that we have and in his power. Hebrews eleven six we read before, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder. He is a rewarder. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And if you are diligently seeking him, if you need a miracle, if you're seeking his will for your life, then you need to believe that he will reward you. When we seek his will, when we desire for him to use us, he will. Maybe not the way we expected, but he will. Daniel 11.32 says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God. Do you know God tonight? Do you? Do you really know your God tonight that the almighty, amazing, immeasurable, powerful God is in this place to meet your need, to do miracles, to save your soul, to deliver you from prison? He is here. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits or heroic deeds. If we know our God and we believe that he is the God that he says he is, then we can step out and we can be heroes. We can do exploits. If we turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples for the last time. And he said unto them, verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We must go and preach and the signs will follow. The signs will follow them that believe. What does it mean to follow? It means to come after or move behind in the same direction. So if I'm going to see miracles... If I'm going to see signs and wonders and the things that the book of Acts shows us, I have to be moving. I have to be moving because that's when the signs are going to follow me. If I stop, the signs stop. I have to be moving. I have to be doing something. And if you are moving, then don't worry. Don't worry. The signs will follow. The word of God says it. We just read it. If you preach, if you go and step out in faith, the signs will happen. I don't know how. But that's not for me to worry about. 
That's where faith comes in. And we trust and believe that God said it and he will do it. So if you are moving, if you are teaching a Bible study, if you are praying for someone, his word says that if we believe and we go and we preach, the signs will come. They are there to confirm his word that is preached and taught. God is not willing that any should perish. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack. He is not slack like us. He's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if he's not willing that anyone leaves this earth without knowing him and being forgiven by him, it is not God that hinders the saving of people. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means what the apostles did in the book of Acts, what they saw God do, the deliverance that the Israelites saw in the Exodus can be seen and done in our day and our age. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I have a musician, please? got another definition of faith when I was looking it up in the dictionary and it says belief faith is belief that is not based on proof I kind of agree with this but not entirely and I will show you why I understand that Noah built an ark without knowing what rain even was Abraham left his hometown not knowing where he was going but I will demonstrate why this definition does not fit perfectly So I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And if they fit you, I want you to stand up and stay standing. There might be a few questions that are relevant to you, not just one. So here goes. I want you to stand up if you've ever experienced the miraculous provision of God when your finances didn't cover all your bills. I want to stay standing. I want you to stand up if you've ever experienced deliverance from an addiction. I want you to stand up if you've sought the Lord and he delivered you from your fears. Stand up if you've ever experienced healing of a sickness or a disease. And stand up if you've ever experienced the blood of Jesus washing over you and cleansing you from every sin you have ever committed. Look around. There's your proof. The proof is in the building tonight. There is proof. We don't have to believe blindly tonight. The proof that God is still able to fix broken lives is standing right next to you. The proof that God is still able to bring a family back together again stands in this building. The proof that God is still able to deliver you from addiction and sin stands right here in front of you. If he can deliver me then he can deliver you. He is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter where you've been, who you are, how poor you are, how rich you are. No matter where you're from, God is able. No, five pieces of bread and two fish can't feed 5,000. But that little boy had heard about Jesus doing miracles before. Why can't he do one now? No, Moses didn't know if lifting up his rod and striking the sea would part the waters, but he knew what God had done before. No, the woman with the issue of blood didn't really understand how touching a carpenter's coat could heal her, but she had heard 
of the healings that God had done for others. And so if he did it for them, if he did it for them, why couldn't he do it for her? I cannot tell you how exactly the water in that baptistry washes away my sin. But I can tell you this, that as I came up out of that water, I felt the cleanest I have ever felt. And he washed me. And if he washed me before, he'll wash me again and again and again. If he keeps saving others, he will save me. If he keeps forgiving others, he will forgive me. You may not know how you are going to see your family and your friends saved. But if he can pull my family of four out of false doctrine and place them in an apostolic church and they still be here today, he can do it for your family. No matter how long you've been praying for them, he can do it. The proof is in this building tonight. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts or has faith in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You want to open up the front of this building tonight. If you're feeling a little low on faith, I want you to come and be reminded of how big your God is. Remember the stories you've heard of how he has delivered and provided and taken people out of sin. He can do it for you. You can come and be reminded of what God has done in your past. If he's caught you before, he will catch you again and again and again and again. His forgiveness is immeasurable. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.